Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of I Loved This Conversation. I'm Alex Salzberg. I'm an animator, a writer, a teacher, a podcast host. I talk to other creative people on this podcast about what they're currently going through in their creative lives, and the conversations just kind of go from there. This podcast is meant to be that feeling of getting coffee with another creative person. Maybe it's someone you know really well, an old friend, an old roommate, like the previous two episodes. Or maybe it's someone you've never met before and you're getting to know and you're getting that inspired feeling of connecting with another creative person for the first time. That's how I felt talking to McCurson. When I met up with him at the studio at CCTV a couple weeks ago, all I knew going in was that he was a dancer, a choreographer, an educator, an activist. He's the artistic director of the Lakai Dance Theater, and he teaches at MIT and does so many other things for the community, for families. I could really go on and on about how awesome McCurson is, but he says early on in this episode, like right away, that he's in it for the story, not the glory. So out of respect for that, I'll just let him share his story in this episode. We talk about everything from the pressure that comes with putting your name on things, the urgency of spreading happiness through art, McCurson's experiences teaching kids in all different programs, including public schools, which can be a challenge, and McCurson's description of his creative process as a dancer and choreographer is truly one of my favorite moments of the podcast to date. Okay, McCurson, that's all the glory points that I'm going to give you. That'll make sense to everyone in a few minutes. But you know who I'm more than happy to talk about? Me. Uh, we just left the summer camp where we were staying for the winter yesterday. We're back in Boston. I'm back at my desk. I just unpacked my microphone like 10 minutes ago. Whenever there's a transitional period in my life, I always feel just like super flustered and chaotic. And if you've listened to other episodes, I've talked about how much I prioritize organization, sometimes maybe to a fault, but I'm constantly creating and updating and figuring out the systems and routines for everything from my work to my household. It's really just to stave off that feeling of chaos. And whenever things are chaotic, whenever things are a little in flux, my default feeling is like, oh, all of my systems and routines just failed. Because if they worked, I'd be able to not feel chaotic during this period, during a move, when I have to unpack, when I'm tired, when I'm burnt out, when I'm run down. Then I, I start thinking like, I have to regroup. I have to figure out, tear it all down, figure out entirely new systems, entirely new routines. And I'm talking about everything. Like I start thinking, I got to buy all new clothes that I got to, you know, redo how I organize my kitchen and everything. But I had a moment on Friday when I was packing up at the at the summer camp and it was really helpful. I started realizing that just because one day is a little chaotic, that doesn't negate all of the work I've done over the years to make myself feel more grounded and to make my life work and flow and have flexibility and have great relationships and communicate and be able to do things like this podcast. In these chaotic moments, I need to trust myself and I need to trust all the work that I did in the organized moments that I can get back to that. I need to trust that the to-do lists I've made are going to remind me what I need to do when I wake up tomorrow. I need to trust that last time I bought clothes, I bought enough clothes to wear I need to trust that the mental and physical health that I've been working really hard on for years is not going to disappear because I was too tired to cook or exercise or journal or meditate for like three days. Um, And I need to trust that just because I'm like a little behind doesn't mean that I've lost my work ethic and my drive. Yeah, that's just kind of what I've been repeating to myself, that I need to trust myself. And that's been really comforting. It's, It's a new thought. It's a new epiphany. So 
I can't tell you if it's a long-term thing that's helpful, but if you're having a day or a moment where maybe the issue isn't that things are crazy, but is actually just that you are not trusting yourself, maybe this will be helpful. Maybe this intro will find one of you at just the right moment to hear it. I hope so. That, that's enough about me. Let's meet our guest. My name is McCarson, and how did I meet Alex? <laughs> Through a mutual friend, Mickey. Yes. Who's a dope DJ yeah. in the Boston area. Mickey was my wedding DJ. What? Yeah. That makes sense. That's how we met. Uh, <laughs> and then he uh, he and I have stayed in touch, and he was a guest on this podcast as well. So. Ah, Mickey's a cool person. He's Mickey's great. cool for real. McCurson. I like to start by asking a big question. What is something you're currently going through in your creative life? Or or where it overlaps with your personal life? You know, um, I'm big on like community action. Yeah. And I do a lot of community events. And part of my issue in life is that I don't care for like glory. Mm. So I'll do a lot of events and then I'll just be like in the background, like in the shadows, <laughs> just watching it happen. And years later, people will be like, oh, that event a few years ago in Dolchester was great. We wish we could find someone who could do that. And I was like, oh, that that's me. And they're <laughs> like, that was you? And I'm like, yeah. So it's hard sometimes trying to, like, I guess, do new stuff when people don't really know what you've done before. Right. You know? So, like, typically when people know who I am, be, like, just from word of mouth, the door opens up easier. But because my personality of trying to be, like, in the shadows all the time, it kind of, like, plays me, mm. you know? So. I'm curious about that, that <laughs> lurking in the shadows. Mm-hmm. Uh where does that come from? Is it that you don't like a certain kind of attention or is it just more your style with how you run events? It might be both, you know, it might be both. I mean, my personality is kind of like that. I feel like I'm an introvert who knows how to play the extrovert game very well. Mm. I have to run home every day to recharge on my sofa and watch anime. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's like both my personality and just my style of just running things. I just like to watch things, you know, I don't yeah. like to be front and center. I like to jump into whatever vibe is happening. Right. And blend in. That's how I am. Yeah. It's interesting. I think I'm a mix of both because I've also run events and people who've been to those events know I was often front and center because I've interviewed artists on stage. Right, right. So on the one hand, sometimes I admittedly like that kind of attention. Okay. But on the other hand, I I totally know that feeling. Tell me if you relate of like like just watching it unfold and kind of just looking out. It's almost a different, it's like an internal glory. You're like, this is my, my kingdom that i yeah, <laughs> that i yeah, created yeah sometimes though i end up just like i don't i don't have like a hierarchy of like tasks right mm. like if someone's in charge of like moving stuff and someone can't do it i'll just get my hands dirty yeah you know so yeah. no matter the event no matter who you are the janitor whoever you are i'm gonna help you do your job right so i sometimes get thrown into the shadows because of that you right. know i'm helping this person that person i'm trying to make sure everyone's kind of like happy and that the event goes smoothly as possible i guess another reason yeah. why i'm in the shadows i i relate to that i i think i always had that thing of like yeah the event comes first it's like yeah that, that's the yeah. work of art almost yeah exactly but you are correct me if i'm wrong you are also at times a performer right yeah yeah, so how does that relate or not relate to this (laughs) this uh in the shadows in the background we keep saying in the shadows like you're batman or something (laughs) (laughs) i like that yeah not the biggest fan of batman but i like that (laughs) he could solve gotham's problems with his money but Mm. he just beats people up (laughs) wow yep yeah you not that i had a high opinion of him you just made it lower (laughs) 
There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so as a performer, it's funny because people will be like, oh, if you're so, uh, you know, introverted, how do you dance on stage in mm. front of, you know, thousands or hundreds of people? And I'm like, I don't see anybody from that stage. Everyone <laughs> looks like a big black blob to me, you know? Uh, I, I, and my art is so personal that I just want to show you something, you know? I want to show you a part of, like, my world. I just want to show it. And whether you like it or not, that's whatever. That's your prerogative. But I am going to express myself on this stage and just take full advantage of, like, the fact that I was given this opportunity to do so. I'm not necessarily there for the glory. I'm just there for, like, the story. Mm. All story, no glory. All story, no glory. I like that. But then it's interesting. It seems like you're, you're hitting a point where you're noticing that that positive thing of, of mm-hmm. chasing the story over the glory yeah maybe a, a side effect of that is that you're not again for lack of i hate this like marketing yourself yeah, or, yeah. or marketing your your work in the community mm-hmm. how much are you willing to take some glory in order to give your events more glory or, or to <laughs> it's hilarious you say that because um i will take glory just so i can check off the box to make the next event happen mm. So I look at glory as like a, I guess a transaction. It's like, all right, if I take like five glory credits, <laughs> I can spend that five glory credits on this event I want to do like right. next month, you know? So huh. that's how I look at it. It's 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 a weird way to look at it, but I don't know. I just try to like minimize me in the limelight as much as possible. Does What does the glory feel like to you? Is it painful? Is it uncomfortable? When someone gives you that kind of attention of like, wow, you were the star of the show tonight. It feels overwhelming because it's Mm -hmm. like, I have to keep going, right? Mm. Like, how do I do what I just did on a better level? And I think I do have to come to cope with that because... Like, let's say I throw an event today, right? And everyone knows. Everyone's like, oh, McCurson did it. And sometimes that happens, right? Now that it's, like, in people's minds, they know who threw that event, it's like, what's next? Right. And then I start to feel the pressure of, oh, damn, now I got to, (laughs) like, up whatever event I just did, which typically is what I feel like on a regular basis. So that's just something I probably have to just cope with. So that's something you feel anyway with events, but when your name is attached to it or your face, like, it's more pressure? Yeah, I feel like it's more pressure because, like, oh, you got to top that doing events or performances and stuff like that is typically not up to me. It's based on funding, you know, space. Boston has a big issue with space right now. Luckily, I'm doing a lot of work at MIT right now, so they're giving me, like, whatever space I need. They're solving a big problem of mine, which is the lack of space in Boston. So, you know, (laughs) I don't mind putting my name on some stuff now that, like, I can deliver. Take me through, like, a typical event. Let's say I'm I'm standing in the shadows with you watching the event. Uh Uh, What what am I watching? What am I looking at? So it depends, right? Like, I got one this month at MIT because I teach there it's highlighting um black women's um involvement in like hip-hop i do stuff like that for communities so that people can be more knowledgeable and to destigmatize how they see black culture or hip-hop culture um and just to invite people within the culture in a way that like they don't come in with misconceptions and they come yeah. up with like knowledge of like how to be participants within our culture you know and how to better it and how to bring what you have so that we can share what we have you know and i try to do a lot of that it can be a performance like i have a dance company uh we mostly 
do stuff in New York City right now, Lakai Dance Theater. I've thrown dance festivals in Boston. It's it's all different kind of mediums <laughs> of stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I, I want to just sort of dive into like all the work you do. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I, I think I said at the top, like we we've just met today, and right, so right. I did some research and saw some of the materials you sent me about yourself. The thing I want to commend you on, I think within two paragraphs about you, it might have been like your about you from MIT and the about you from Lakai Dance Company. Like I feel like I learned like a hundred things about you <laughs> and was left with like a hundred questions in a good way. Like just a lot of curiosity. Just if I ever need to write another about me blurb, I want you to write it That's for me. Funny. I just feel like I learned a lot about your values and like your mission and everything. What's funny is that <laughs> as a director of a company, right? I have all these artists who work, you know, for the company mm -hmm. and I've had to chase them down for their bios. And I'm like, and they're like, nobody taught us how to write these things. There's yeah. no class on teaching artists how to write them, so true. Uh, which there should be. Yeah. I didn't know how to write mine either. My first true bio was by my, I guess, adopted aunt. Judy Lehman, she teaches fibers over in um, Mass Art. I was like, hey, they're asking for bios and I don't know what to write. You're an artist, you teach at Mass Art. Perfect person to ask, yeah. what's up? Gave it to her, she spit something back and I was like, I'm taking this word <laughs> for word. And I did. And over time I started tweaking it, right? I started to make it my language. Yeah. There's stuff that she might have missed that I add, you know, there's some stuff that I feel like was too much I'll take away, you know, and over time it just became what you saw. And as you give it to people, they'll tweak it and right. you'll see what they did to it. It's it's like its own piece of art, you yeah. know, your bio. It's like ever evolving. I just watch it. That's how my bio but came to be. I occasionally teach a class called Business of Animation at Leslie oh, University. And a big part of that is they create their website and their portfolio yeah, and everything. And yeah. if I teach that again, I'm going to use your bio as, a, as an example if that's <laughs> I appreciate okay. That. Because it's funny. just, I, and, and I think I have a new perspective on it interviewing artists. That gives me a new perspective on bios because it's like Christmas morning when I open someone's bio and I can write the whole, uh, <laughs> everything I want to talk about. Right, that. right. Especially when it's someone I don't know very well. Anyway, on that note, there, you know, there are just a lot of things in your bio I kind of wanted to talk about. Uh, you talked about in your work, in your mission to like better the community, that happy people make better decisions. And, <laughs> and it feels like a lot of your work is coming from this place of, of spreading happiness and joy. And I'm wondering, like, this is a, a time when I think sometimes people are hesitant to put happiness first because we are all dealing with these really serious issues. And sometimes I think there's a temptation to be like, well, we can be happy later. We have to be really serious. So do you ever face resistance in that mission, either internally or externally? So I grew up very poor, right? My family is like a family immigrants from Haiti. And we came up with like five of us in like one bedroom and eating whatever we had. And as I watch my parents, as I watch myself grow up, my friends and, you know, my neighborhood, I'm seeing us make like weird decisions, right? Based on our environment. Yeah. And it's not that these decisions were things that we just woke up like, you know, would we be great <laughs> if we just did this? Yeah. And then we end up in trouble, you know? Right. It's more like, you know, it'd be great if I could eat today and let me do something that could like bring me food on the table and it's because you're just stuck in like that like destitution i see that like when people are joyous they do make better decisions because they're thinking from a place of love and that mm. love is for themselves or for others when you're happy like that and making better decisions you try to improve yourself in your environment and even if it's something as little like you give someone a hug today and i gave you like a little piece of joy that thing could be infectious you know yeah i 
try to bring joy through like my culture, right? I grew up with hip hop as a culture in America, you know, because I grew up in the you know inner city neighborhoods, and that's all we had with hip hop. I saw how much it brought kids together, including me, and it got me off of the streets. You know, I got a lot of us out of the streets, and we made better decisions because we were happy dancing hip hop, mixing hip hop, doing graffiti. It brought、mm. us joy, and it got me to where I am today. So. Through hip hop, through other cultures like house, and through other dance mediums, I just want to bring more people into that culture so that they can too experience that joy that it brought me and others. And from that, people would hopefully, actually not hopefully, people will. I'm、yeah. gonna say will make better decisions, even if it's like little. You know, I believe in like a little goes a long way. I'm one of those people that believe in that. Yeah, I love that, and I know it's. I think a lot of people want to believe that, but then also feel again. It's like comes back with, but the problems are so big. How can we、They'll、like go a little? Always be big. Yeah,、They're、always. But that's the、true. thing. Like, I rather you medicate temporarily with something that will give you a lasting feeling in your heart、mm-hmm. than with something quick as like drugs or alcohol. Right. 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 Because the problems are gonna be there. Afterwards, no matter what, there are moments in life where you can have just that one great day and one great night, and that's not to just look forward to. You know, like I want to survive this because I want to experience that feeling again. I mean, it makes me think of not. This is obviously like such a. <laughs> this is sort of a ranting about politics point, but like when、um, pundits do those news stories, that's like, look, this these people on food stamps bought a lobster, <laughs> and I'm like. Why should? Why don't they deserve to have? If I mean, if they like lot like right, everyone right, should have right, a delicious right, fancy meal, even if right. you know it's crazy, right? Because it is, it is. I'll see that stuff in the news, and I'm like, oh, they're poor, but they're buying Jordans for their kids, and I'm like, why do you feel like they have to live in misery? Why do you expect these people to just live in just desperate situations and not experience any shred of happiness? While I do believe in responsible spending, right? I think everybody deserves to experience some form of happiness. So, I do believe there's a balance, right? Of course, like the pursuit of happiness should be open to everybody, right? Yeah, no matter where you are. You do a lot of teaching, and I, my sense is you teach、uh, students of all ages, right?、Yeah. From college all the way down to like kids, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also show, so I teach a lot of、uh, animation workshops. I teach、cool. college courses. I've taught to people of like a wide variety of income levels.、Right. Uh, I'm curious what you've noticed teaching the arts to students of higher incomes、Ooh. levels, lower incomes. What differences there are? What similarities? For me, I've noticed the students are all very similar, but the parents. For me, I've noticed parents who are more privileged, I guess,、uh, for lack of a better word, or whatever. They're more ready to just be like, "Oh, my daughter loves animation. What other classes can she take? How can she make this her career?" And parents who are lower income, they're not against it. Like, they're like, "Oh, this is a cool hobby," but they're not as ready to see the arts as like a career path. It's funny because I have a complete opposite experience.、Oh, interesting, because of what I'm teaching. Mm. I am teaching a black culture. Typically, the more affluent parents and kids are white, you know. So、yeah. I've taught in like Burlington, Lexington, Watertown, North Shore, Massachusetts. I've taught all these places. They see hip hop, right? And the parents and even the studio owners, they see and they're like, "Oh, this is just something fun." Right. I just want you to teach the kids how to like do this and that. They don't even know what hip hop music is. The parents and the studio owners see this thing that's cool on. 
TV and hip. And they just want the kids to have fun. So I'm babysitting. But my culture is not that. You got to learn the moves. You got to have the same discipline in it as you do for ballet, right? And it's not fair that ballet, modern, contemporary, all these like Eurocentric dances get so much respect mm. and so much, you know, kind of a revere to it, right? But when it's hip hop, it's like, oh, no, nah, it's just here for fun. You can wear whatever you want. And I would get an arguments and the kids will take it seriously yeah and the kids who don't will like trickle out but the problem that happens is the parents and the studio owners who will sometimes be like hey a kid said your class is too serious mm -hmm. i wanted the kids to enjoy a fun class and you're that fun class and i've had to quit i've been yeah. fired i've been fired because of that perception of who I am coming through the door, you know, um, from beginning to the end, you know, like there's been apprehension of me walking in the door, right? Six foot tall black man with like locks going down to his shoulders. You know, I'm a great teacher and I've had to, you know, put boundaries with kids like, hey, no, we're not doing that at all. Right. And parents go, I don't like the way he talks to my daughter. And I'm oh, like, man. excuse me? I I'm a school teacher. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I I'm just trying to set boundaries so that yeah. she can learn. Boundaries are love, you know? Like, I'm not yelling at her. I would never <laughs> yell at a kid. But you're not hitting I, them with a ruler. Yeah, like no, a no, never that, right? <laughs> and that's the thing to them. It's like a shock. It's like, whoa, this guy's supposed to be fun is now telling my daughter that she can't do this, and now my daughter's sad in this fun class. And and on the other end of the spectrum, right, where there's like more low income, those kids are typically more hungry. And it might be because it's like I'm speaking like a culture that comes from low income, yeah, right? Because yeah. hip hop came out of nothing. It was born out of literally fires in the South Bronx in the 70s, early 70s. So it speaks to a lot of the kids that I talk to and like, and it's enables because it's free. Like as opposed to animation, you got to buy stuff. Right. You got to learn how to use programs and this at your house. With my thing, you can just go on TikTok and recreate what you learned. You right. can sit at home and practice for 10 minutes a day. You can, you know, you can do it with your friends at recess. And it, the culture is community-based. It's inviting and it's supposed to be done with multiple people. So kids with lower income, they see that like it doesn't take much of a buy-in. Yeah. And I could include their culture into it, right? So they're typically more about it. And the parents are busy working and trying to survive. They don't necessarily see like the angle of it, but that's right. okay. As long as they just trust me with their kids, I'm going to try and get your kid to point B. They, they'll vet you like, mm, who are you? You know, once to see you're good, they're like, all right, yeah. don't involve me. I'm busy. And that's what I deal with, with like lower income parents. Like I'm busy, don't involve me. As long as you get my kid to like point B and he's happy and he's safe, that's fine. If you want to put boundaries on him, cool, whatever. For the parents, I try to do like resources, right? I try to provide families with resources. I think that's very, very important. People are stuck a lot of times. They don't see a way out because no one has the resources to reach their hand out to them. And if I can collect resources and I can help the, the son or daughter grow as a person and I can also help the family as a unit grow all together, then that's all for me. You know, that's all I really care about. You know, as long as the family gets something and the kids get something, that's a win. So whether it's like financial resources, like learning how to like start up a, a bank, right? A lot of families don't trust banks, you know, like when you're in tough situations, you become less trusting. Oh, why did you take that fee? Why did it cost this? Why is that? Because they don't understand, right? That's not taught in the American public school system. Yeah. They see fees coming out your thing. They're like, oh, they're just here to take my money, take all their money out the banks. Well, now you have no presence. You know, you want to buy a nice car. You can't because they're like, who are you? You know, so just teaching like financial literacy, teaching socioeconomical understanding of like the world, teaching mental health awareness. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's also not taught in public schools. And right. doing all that stuff is just trying to get people to a better place. I feel like 
these people need it more than the people in like affluent neighborhoods, right? Right. Like, I feel like I'm not really doing much up there. Like I'm that fun guy up there. That's <laughs> what I feel like. Yeah. So I'd rather spend my time in neighborhoods that like actually need it. Right. I grew up in um, Wayland. So I went to one of these <laughs> affluent public schools and they also didn't teach us mental health, financial literacy. The difference is, is that like our families, many of our families, I should say, had the time and yeah, the resources yeah. to teach us that themselves. <laughs> exactly. You know, but yeah, I guess how do you feel that you as an art teacher, as a, a dancer are filling in that gap? Like, does that feel like a lot of responsibility? Do you wish you could share that load with public schools? More power to the teachers who are able to withstand the American public school system. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. I quit as of last year. So that's why I'm at MIT now. Going into teaching from a community organizing standpoint yeah. is madness, right? Because I can see so much gaps and things that can be done with literally no money. Right. Right. Like it takes nothing. The fact that from my perspective, my and what I bring that I, that I tried to like do things like within the school system that they just couldn't. It's not that they couldn't because they didn't want to a lot of times. Sometimes, yes, they didn't want to. But sometimes it's just because they're not there yet. The, it's yeah. so broken. They don't even know what I'm talking about. Right. I'm like, <laughs> hey, if you just open the space up from like three to five, we can have parents come in and have resources given to them. And I yeah. could bring volunteers who are willing to help these parents. And all you got to do is just open the door. Right. It'll take no money. Just open the door after school and let the parents come in. The Black Panthers did that back in the days. Right. That's how they did a lot of neighborhood education. That's how a lot of like free food programs, like free breakfast started. Yeah. Right. They'll just open the doors to the schools and just give parents resources, free libraries, breast cancer screenings for women, free, all that stuff was free. And like, I'm like, we can do that. But the system has gotten so broke and so mm -hmm. broken that all they can think about is like, we got to get our MCAT scores up. I'm like, yeah. no, I swear they connect. You know, right. if the parents are happier, if they know that they can invest their money better, if they know that they can look out for signs of like mental health issues within their kids, that kid could do better on their MCAT. Yeah. If they learn better nutritional cooking, that kid could be more awake in my class. Once you teach that, it gives these families more power over their families, over their kids. The school system just doesn't understand why that's connected. So you were at a public school. What was your, did you have a specific class you taught? So I taught performing arts, yeah, sixth yeah, through cool. eighth grades. I love kids. kids I are, love working with kids all ages. Kids are smart, yo. Like uh -huh. we really underestimate the power of kids. 100% like, agree. We really do. They're, oh man, they're like, they're all geniuses in their own right. I do miss teaching kids because I've learned so much about life just through yeah. kids, right? Our adult eyes are already like we have rose-colored lenses over or whatever term yeah. you want to use right but these kids yeah they have the fresh eyes and they're like why not do that and i'm like oh because you can't it's like why though and i'm like you know i never thought about why not <laughs> that sounds like an echo of you and the public school system <laughs> yes yes exactly oh thank you i like that and the <laughs> arts do that and you're yeah, a fellow artist yeah. so we look at the world differently right as artists we can see more joy in the world we can see more opportunities in the world whereas systematically they're like you guys are crazy right what are you talking about happiness no there's no happy here it's just <laughs> test scores how does happy become better test scores they don't see that so you're right you know and the arts does keep you young so you were the performing arts teacher when did you really know you hit your breaking point when i saw that i was fighting 
the school system to do basic things like i said earlier yeah i got demoralized you know like i am someone where if i work somewhere i'm bringing 170 percent whatever <laughs> arbitrary number that's above 100 yeah. i'm doing it right i was buying supplies i was raising money for the kids i spent 48 hours of my time turning their auditorium to a theater so i built a sound room i did so much right all you do is ask for like a little bit in return Mm -hmm. just like attention like hey can you just like get and like i would ask for things not for me but for the kids right, right. you already know i like to be in the shadow so i don't care about the yeah. glory <laughs> right. like one time i raised like a crazy amount of money for the school just so they can get better like supplies for sound and visual and they were like oh do you want to announce that you brought this i'm like no i don't care it's not for <laughs> me in return just let the kids use the auditorium for when we need to rehearse. Right. Right. And that wasn't done. Right. So we'll go to the auditorium and the auditorium like, stage will be filled with a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, this is our rehearsal space. It's like, yeah, we're using it for now to do X, Y, and Z. And it's not just at my school. It's like around the country, I guess. Like it's just the lack yeah. of respect for the arts and like just the happiness of kids is just too in your face. My concern was that these kids leave with tools to better their lives using the arts, just how it bettered my life. And the fact that I was met with too much resistance, you know, and like things that I didn't need money. I'm not asking for crazy things. Just yeah. let us use this. Let us do that. And like just the fact that I had to wait days or months for an answer. Just, it was just the obvious lack of concern, right? right? For like that part, because it doesn't have to do with MCAS scores. Oh my God, don't get me started on the standardized tests. I think maybe something I really relate to you on is, and Sometimes I think this is a good thing about me, and sometimes I think I am like too impatient in this sense. And some of it, I think, comes from being an independent artist mm -hmm. for most parts of my career. But whenever I am working in some kind of institution or system, I'm not good at not noticing things where I'm like, oh, if you just like connect these two dots, that'll <laughs> that'll fix this or that'll make this better. Why can't we just do this? And right. and I I struggle with the kind of things you're talking about, like this bureaucracy or the like. Well, we just need to worry about the test score or things like that. So I don't think I've struggled to the degree you did, and you were front and center because you were there every day as mm -hmm. a, as a public school teacher. Like, how do you find the balance between like? And it sounds like maybe you didn't yet because you you burned out on the public schools. But in general, how do you find the balance of the frustration? and fighting the system versus working within it? For me, it's how can I exist in a space where I'm not being chiseled from every direction, right? And when you work for the community, you work for kids, you work for families, when you do stuff like that, you're taking a lot of blows from like, you know, bureaucracy, yeah. right? Because your heart's in it, but for them, it's like the numbers are all what they're about. There's like a big disconnect there, right? You are often being told no, no, or that's dumb, that's that, that's this, you know? So you take a lot of these blows to help these families out. My new way of going about this is if I can minimize the blows I'm taking, that's fine. I know yeah. we don't live in a world where like I can just take zero blows. Right. Right. Like we don't live in that perfect world. As much as we'd like to, we could create it. Um, the goal should just work towards it. Right. Like nobody's perfect, but we try to attain that. We work as hard as we can to get there, even though we know the goal is impossible. Right. We don't even yeah. know what perfection is because we've never seen it. That's what I do now. Like I still work with students and kids, but just in a community based setting now, you know, yeah. like I'm trying to create spaces for kids to go after school because we don't really have much after school programs in Boston. And if I can create a place for them to go, I now have more power over what I can do for these families. Right. I don't have to wait on the vice principal or some admin in my school to go check with their boss and their boss. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have direct. All all I got to do is just make sure that we can raise the funding. So 
we'll still get chiseled because what if we can't raise funding? What if we miss out on a grant because of whatever reason? And I'll take that blow, but it's nowhere near as a blow of having to do with that and people <laughs> who you thought were in the same boat as you who are now telling you, no, you can't do X, Y, and Z. Also, it feels like it relates to, you know, what you talked about at the beginning at running specific events where you like to be able to just be like, oh, I'll just run over there and move that piano or whatever, mm-hmm. or, or, mm-hmm. or, you know, raise that curtain or, yeah. or help that student. Something else I, I noticed, again, I have like a hundred things from your two paragraphs. I'm here for it. But something I, I noticed in a lot of your stuff and in, in, in the Lakai missions, and I don't know whether this was intentional or not, but I noticed that talking about every everything you're doing with kids, especially like either inner city kids or under-resourced kids, kids and families all of the writing is from a perspective of like support and building up and i noticed that i think because i'm so used to and this is very anecdotal i i don't know i don't even know what the right answer is and how to talk about this but like so many descriptions i've seen of community programs especially for inner city kids especially for black kids is about avoiding a negative it's about this will keep them off of drugs this will keep them away from gangs whatever and i noticed that while that while maybe some of those things are built into your missions that's not in any of the language that you use in any of your stuff and i I, i'm curious if that was intentional or, or how you feel about that stuff I do see those things, right? And I do mm-hmm. see zo- these organizations and I've dealt with these organizations. Yeah. I've worked with these organizations and we call them the well-intended people, you know? <laughs> um, and they just completely missed the mark because they're not from these neighborhoods. So from the outside, they're like, oh my God, these kids are shooting each other. These kids are on drugs. These kids are doing X, Y, and Z. Bless their hearts. We should save them, right? And me from being these neighborhoods, I'm like, what? Not all these kids are on drugs. <laughs> right. Not all these kids are shooting each other or doing whatever. Some of these kids just have nothing to do, yeah. you know? Or some of these kids are just depressed, haven't been in these situations situations and having firsthand experience of dealing with some of these things that they're trying to save these kids from. I just know that like it's weird to kind of generalize that I'm going to save these kids from X, Y, and Z when I don't know what that kid's going through, you know? I can say only a few of them have like records. But I've worked in settings where all the kids have records, right? I've done that where I've taught in schools like alternative schools in my city where all the kids have a record and those kids are cool as hell. (laughs) You know, they just had that one bad day that sent them to where they're at and now I just have to be the one to like just deal with them in the best way possible and it's typically very chill because I'm not looking at them as they're lesser and that's the problem that a lot of people do and I've seen people come in into organizations and they kind of look at them as like oh you already you already did your fuck up for life you're done and I don't look at them that way I look at them like what's up you know like what's like let's hang out let's talk like you know and I talk to them like because they're humans you know because I've seen people who's done way worse (laughs) and are still human. Right. And these are kids who had just one bad day. Yeah. Literally, you ask them all their stories, how'd you get here? It's literally one day. I had one kid, Eddie. He, he didn't eat for days. So he was grumpy. He flipped the desk and threw it across a room, hit a kid on accident because he was asked to do something he didn't want to do. His teacher accused him of assault on another student and blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole story. He got kicked out of school, had nowhere to go. And downhill and downhill from that. But Eddie was the nicest kid. A little bit weird, but the nicest kid at the school, actually, in his grade. Like, he wouldn't harm a soul. But Eddie didn't eat for days. And that one day cost Eddie a lot of his life. Like, Eddie could have, like, a normal trajectory in life, but because of that one bad day. And all these kids had stories like that. Oh, I, uh, my mom's in the hospital and the kid was talking about my mom and I beat him up bad. Just situations like that, you know, just 
that's it, all it was. It's it's so chilling to hear that too, because as I said, I, I grew up in Wayland. Uh-huh. I've seen a kid throw a desk at another kid. <laughs> Nothing happened to him. I mean, he maybe got detention. Right, but like, right. He, I I also know plenty of kids who got arrested, but they're fine because <laughs> right. they, they're kids and they're. They have resources. And, right, you know. right, right. And so did you grow up in Boston? I'm curious, like, are you thinking a lot about your child self when you're working with kids? My parents and I, like, in my family, we moved, like, every two years, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes every one year, just because we were always chasing, like, the cheapest rent. Every neighborhood we went to, obviously, where it's cheap is going to have, like, you know, like, kind of crime elements because it's cheap, right? Right, right. And immigrant parents... They don't understand that, right? Like, there's a lot of American culture they don't get, right? It's like, oh, it's cheap, so yay, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they get there, and we've had to move a few times because of me or my brother getting into trouble. Uh, we moved from everywhere. Like, we'll find trouble in any city, unfortunately, that we moved to. We've, we moved to Lynn. Houses are cheap. They bought their first house. They use their life savings on that. It's Lynn. It's called the city of sin. They don't know right. that. They're not from, you know, the United States. So now I'm getting into trouble again. Yeah, yeah. We lose the house because that's when a recession is. So my parents lose their life savings. We're bouncing back and forth. And then I end up just after high school, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to settle back in Boston. I'm not as dumb as I used to be. I'm not going to get in trouble. I know what I want in life. You yeah. know, I put myself in college. I went to Bunker Hill. I put myself in adult education classes as well while I was in Dorchester. So I just really wanted to like save my own life yeah. while living in like a place where like it was tempting to go back to what I used to do as a kid. So because I saw that I can change my life and because I know I was that kid in class who would be like, F this, you know, <laughs> I was like, that kid who's saying F this is probably just this or probably that. Maybe their home life is unstable. My life was unstable. I moved every freaking year. Yeah, I had yeah. to make new friends every, you know what I mean? That's it tough. Sounds exhausting. Right. It yeah. was, you know, and like even to this day as an adult, it affects me. Like I try not to buy too much stuff in my house because I always get ready for the next time I'm going to move. Oh, and wow. that's, yeah, that's traumatizing yeah. to think about, right? Because yeah. um, it just stays with you. But because I can relate to a lot of these kids, I treat them better. And they can see that, right? Like, I'll tell a kid, listen, I'm not mad at you, but I'm disappointed in your action. You know, I think that was pretty dumb. Let's talk about it when you're ready. And they'll be like, yeah, F you. And they'll come back like, listen, I'm sorry, man. I'm like, yeah, you know, we can talk about it, you know? Sorry is a word, right? What are you going to do about it? You know, how are you going to change? How we? And that's how I talk to kids. I'm able to have one-on-one conversation with them, no matter what they did. You could have punched so-and-so. And I'd be like, okay. So you're mad, right? We're going to separate this. You're going to go to the nurse's office. You're going to sit down and I'm going to call admin just because this is what I have to do. But after admin deals with you, we're going to have a conversation. Right. I'm not mad at you. I don't think it's fair to like hold you up to a standard where you knew what you were doing. Like, yes, you may know what you're doing, but you're a kid. Yeah. You're supposed to make mistakes. And the problem is in these neighborhoods, kids are not allowed to make mistakes. And just like you said, right, you knew kids who threw desks across, you know, and they was like, ah, that's just Bobby, Timmy, whatever, right? But the system of where I live and where these kids are, they're so afraid of these kids that, like, it's not mistakes. It's, oh, no, they're going to become another what they see on the streets. So let's clip him now before it becomes so-and-so with that record on the streets. It's not fair to them because they're living with that burden every day, and it's not their fault. And then they end up becoming that because you already see that in them and you punish them like they are those people right yeah and that's just what happens if you treat someone like b they're gonna become b 
treat them like A, they'll become like A. It's just basic, you know, psychology. Yeah, I mean, kids fully internalize almost anything you tell them about themselves. Yes, yes. I used to be told, oh, you're bad, right? When I used to go to school. And I'd be like, well, if I'm bad, I'm bad as well, right? Uh That was my mentality as a kid sometimes. And the teachers who saved my life were the ones who were like, you're not a bad kid. You're just very misunderstood. I don't know what's going on at home, but I can see that you know what you're doing. You're smart, but you just don't fit in sometimes right. and you don't know how to cope with that, you know? And I've had teachers who are understanding have had those conversations with me and those were the most fun classes, right? Yeah. Because they'd be like, McCurson, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was supposed to do that, was I? And they're like, no. And I'm like, all right, all right I'll sit down, you know? Yeah. I do want to also just touch on just the, the art forms that you're into. I'm so interested in dance because it's so in the body. So yeah. like when you are specifically if you're choreographing something yourself, does it, is it starting in the body and the brain is writing it down or vice versa? Like, are you picturing a move and then you send that to your body? I know these are weird, like From, inside out style. Right. <laughs> Artists in general are sensitive people. And it's the same thing for a dancer, for a choreographer, I should mm-hmm. say. It doesn't start in my body. It starts from anything. It could be from a conversation, right? And yeah. It just triggers something and it just opens up to something else, right? It could be the news. It could be... And that's the thing. I try to limit what I ingest into my like soul. So I try to limit as much negativity in my life because that will impact what I create. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. If I surround myself with hope, I will create works of hope. So whatever you put in your body, you're going to put out. I'm a big believer of that. My work doesn't come from my body first. My body just translates my experience or whatever is coming in through whatever outside source. We're translating. We're like the medium. Like all our moves comes from experiences that like we've had or seen. Not to get too microscopic. No, go ahead. But let's say you're having a a really positive experience from this this information diet or this this to reword what you said like this diet of hope almost that Mm -hmm, that you put mm -hmm. into your into your uh, body and your soul. Take me through. To whatever degree you could describe it in words, and maybe you maybe you can't, maybe it can only be described in, in movement, but take me to like the digestion of that piece of hope into the say physical. A, a, the physical dance move that you might either teach to a student or perform yourself on stage. The thing with hope, right? If I mention hope, it's not like happy-go-lucky hope, right? Yeah. Hope takes effort. Well, what comes after hope is effort, I should say, right? Yeah. I can hope that one day I'll have, I don't know, more than a thousand bucks in my account. But if I don't do the effort to realize that hope, then I'm all I'm doing is just wishing upon a star, yeah. right? So a lot of my work is that work in between where I try to show how I can get the in between to make that hope or that 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 hope comes to realization through physical, like how how you get translated to the physical. There's many many ways it can happen, right? The first thing I like to do is I write. I'm weird as a choreographer. Um, I write my dance moves oh, in a wow. language that you won't even know, like <laughs> like your your very own. Yes, like, yeah. yeah. So I'll be like green blade of grass that the sun touched last Wednesday. That would be like the full sentence, but in my mind, I'll just put grass. And then I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it'll be like, comma, the window to that BMW I saw. So I'll write BMW. I then have like a whole paragraph and that's my dance piece. Has I now recreate those things in my mind that I saw I'm going to turn into a dance piece, I can, okay, what about that BMW? What if I do it facing the east, the west? What if I use levels? What if, how do I make this more complicated? How do I make this less complicated? How do I do it in a way where, where someone can understand what I'm doing, right? So that's just the 
physical movements. Now meaning comes into it, right? How do I show the meaning as to why I am choosing that move? Yeah. Right? Like how do I show that that person is feeling sad, happy, mad through my movements, right? And then I go to research. What is madness? What is sadness? What do psychologists and sociologists see when a person is mad? And then I look into that, like, oh, people touch their elbows a lot. Cool, let me add elbows to this choreography. Uh -huh. That becomes a motif, right? The motif is like the reoccurring theme, right? Let's say elbow touching is a sign that you're depressed. So now I just add a lot of elbow touches in my piece. And in between, I'm adding like the blade of grass, the this, the that. That's the meat, right? But yeah. the skeleton is the elbow touches. Maybe uh -huh. I'll touch your elbow. Maybe I'll bring your elbow this way. Maybe I'll put my elbow to the ground. Maybe my elbow's stuck, right? But the elbow is a motif. To what degree is it important to you that the audience consciously understands um, right. those movements translated to your intention versus subconsciously? I think and believe that if you did due diligence on what you're putting out through research and you know what you're talking about, because a lot of people will make pieces and not really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Like I've seen people do pieces about like my people who are not necessarily my people. Mm. And it gets lost because they. it's not that you're not my people. It's that you've not done much research on my people. Right. So right. the translation gets lost, right? If I'm doing a piece on sadness and I'm someone who didn't experience much sadness in their life, and I didn't do much research on sadness and what it means to be sad for long periods of time and to just go through life and work just in a sad state of mind. How can I then relate that message to the audience, right? But if I have a personal connection to this and I spend time and dedication fleshing it out, I can then have the audience, no matter who, at least feel something from the piece. Yeah. They don't have to know that that piece is about like my family member with cancer or whatever. They don't have to know it's about that specifically, right. but they know that it's involving family and sadness and they can feel that and maybe and this happens all the time a small group of people will know exactly what that's about yeah. because they had that in their family they can tie that and that's the beautiful thing about art right it's all about how do you relate to it right so i make something and however you relate to it and whatever you get from it that's my goal that you just get something yeah right you connect somehow and yeah i'll have people come to me like I know exactly what you were saying in that piece. And I'm like, <laughs> right. really, what? And they'll tell me, I'm like, wow. And it's because they've probably lived through that yeah. experience, you know? Something I've found, which it sounds like you're describing a similar thing I found in writing and, you know, I'm I'm writing for cartoons, so a whole different, yeah, yeah. Whole different uh, way to translate these yeah. things. But um, I found the more specific you are, and it sounds like your work is very specific as mm -hmm. well, the more specific you are, the more widely relatable it is in a mm -hmm. weird way. And, and I think it's what you described. It's like, you can get really specific with um, someone with cancer or whatever. Maybe not everyone relates to that, but because you were so specific, you were able to get across that feeling so well. Pretty much everyone has felt sad or hopeless right, or scared right, or right, all of those things. Right, that's that's exactly, what I found. Exactly. So let's say like Lakai, right? Uh, a lot of our pieces have to do with inner city life. My pieces, I look at as like has a window. You didn't grow up in like inner city neighborhoods, right? No. So you're not going to come to my piece going, I know what that right, is, right. right? And that's okay because sometimes the piece is to be a looking glass, right? Hmm. Sometimes I just want you to see that, look, it's not just sadness in my neighborhood, yeah. right? Like we know how to make the best with what we got. And I just want you to see that. And someone in the audience who is from where I'm from can be like, I know exactly what that is. And you may not, but you get to see what I do with what I have. Yeah, They already know what I'm going to do with what I have, but they're happy because they see it on the stage. 
right? And that's the difference. They're able to see themselves presented and you're able to see myself and my people presented in a way that is done in the light where it's not negative. And yeah. that makes you happy because then you have more hope, right? You leave the theater going, wow, I'm happy I got to see that these people do do this and do do that. Like, And there'll be similarities, right? There'll be family structures in my piece that you have in your life as well. There's also something you can relate to. Right. You exactly. know? Right, exactly. right. They have a way that they talk to their buddies. I have that too. Yeah. They touch their heads for good luck. I do something kind of <laughs> like, I have my own little thing like that too, yeah. right? You'll find something to relate to because we're all human. We have something. There's a co there's a common language amongst us humans. And art is just trying to find that commonality between us. No matter where we're from, what background, what color, whatever creed, there is commonality between all of us. And yeah. that's what the arts is. Or else no one would care to watch your thing right. if it doesn't relate to anybody right right so it's all about finding that commonality i love that all right we got to jump into our lightning round lightning your, let's do your it. answers don't have to be like super lightning fast um that's fine. but there's three questions so that's it okay <laughs> the first question is what is something you have learned the hard way that you'd be happy for other people to just skip that part learn it the easy way your journey is yours alone. Even if someone's doing something similar to you and they may be ahead of wherever they're at, don't compare yourself. Sometimes I deal with that to this yeah. day, you know, and sometimes you get depressed like, oh, this person's there and I'm here. But that person didn't do some of the stuff you did, right? right. Like, and some, and that person probably just got lucky just then and that's all you see. There's always gonna be someone ahead of you in something, always, yeah. but they're not doing what you're doing. No one is doing exactly what you're doing. Find your niche. And just stick with that, you know, and or else you just get depressed just trying to compare yourself. Yeah. So don't compare. Just focus on who you are and just 10 toes down. Look ahead at whatever it is. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right at whatever <laughs> other people is doing. You can get inspiration from what other people are doing, but don't try to match and copy. Just be yourself. And if yeah. it aligns with another person's thing, so be it. But whatever you did to get there is not the same thing that other person did to get there. You know, so. Right. And then the second question is, what is something you learned the hard way that you are glad that you learned it the hard way? There was no <laughs> there was no better way for you to have learned this lesson. Couldn't have happened an easier way. Couldn't have skipped it. I need some thinking on this because I'm a person who always learns the hard way. <laughs> always. I'm yeah. a learn through the fire kind of person. <laughs> so it's touch like, the yes, the I'm that person. Yeah. I'm the person who would touch the burner and go, ooh. Yeah. I'm the person where chemistry class. In college, they told because I went to school for bio first. They told me not to sniff the magnesium sulfate, and I <laughs> sniffed it. Oh no! I couldn't smell for the rest of the day. Right? I'm that you, guy. You just had to know. I'm just that. Yeah, I just have to know. <laughs> I'm that guy. Yeah. Something I learned the hard way, and I'm glad I learned the hard way. I got burnt out. I got burnt out pretty bad running my company, like mm -hmm. back in like pre-COVID days. I was doing everything myself, right? I was the accountant. I was this, I was that. Yes, partially because I couldn't find anyone else to do it, right? Yeah. But also because it's just easier sometimes to just do things your own, right? You're like, yeah. ooh, there's that right there in the corner. I'm just going to do it because it's in the corner. Right. Why not? And right. you start doing it. You're like, oh, well, while I'm, not doing, while I'm doing this, I'm not doing that. And mm. while I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this. So then it just keeps piling on you. So then I crumbled, right? I, I had moments where I just crumbled. I know it played a hand in me losing my partner. Um, yeah. So a lot of things just crumbled at that time and it took people going, listen, like this is as much as yours as it is as ours, right? We believe in your dream with the company. Had you just asked me, I could have helped you do X, Y, and Z. Right. There's no need for you to do this by yourself and burn out. And I think it was a beautiful lesson learning to like lean on people and it may be something I have to keep learning over and over again. Yeah, right? same. 
The last lightning round question is, uh, what is a favorite thing of yours to do that has nothing to do with dance, community? Anime. <laughs> I, lo- I love the quick answer. That's funny. Uh, it's just a daily thing, but if it's, not, if it's not that, I'm huge on like racing. So I grew up in like caught with cars. Like my dad loved cars. My mom, actually my mom was a bigger car person than my dad. My dad had to downgrade my mom's car when I was a kid because she was driving too fast. Oh wow. And he had to get an automatic because my mom was just a maniac with manual cars. Like he was like, listen, we have a kid now. You're gonna drive this now. Here's a minivan. Yeah, I'm huge into cars, man. Cars, motorcycles, anything with an engine. I will go on the track. I will race. Oh, cool. Um, I will build motorcycles up, build them down, build them up. I modify my own car to go faster. I'm always like studying and researching. So there's that and anime and video games, you know? And I feel like if I don't have that, oh, I'll burn out so fast, Yeah, you know? I have an addictive personality. Like I, I get addicted to things very easily. And I'm someone where like, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, I could just spend my whole life doing it. And mm. I enjoy doing art and that's the problem. Right. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. I think problem. a lot of us artists can relate to that. Yeah, that's the problem. So I have to have distractions near yeah. me. I have to step away a lot of times. And I feel like I've gotten so good at it recently. I feel happy about that, that I can distract myself because yo, if I don't distract myself, it's a wrap, you know? So <laughs> feel that. What is, what is it about moving really, really fast? Like? <laughs> I'm curious because I am just to do whatever the opposite of relating is. I'm the person who like the few times I've gone like go karting at like an right, amusement park, right, right. I'm the only one not flooring it. I'm going like the responsible funny. speed on the go kart track. So what what do you like about going fast? I have a question for you. Sure. Did you grow up doing like any form of extreme sports? Uh, no, none. I didn't do a lot of sports, but the ones I did were not very extreme. <laughs> so I think that's it right there. Yeah. Right? Um, genetics also probably plays a, a hand. Maybe <laughs> I just have like a taste for adrenaline, you mm-hmm. know, from my mom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up just always wanting to do more and I love chaos. That's like my other <laughs> problem too. I just love, I just love chaos. I just love having to put yourself in a challenging situation, yeah. right? Like I just like that. And part of it's probably like coping mechanisms that, you know, like maybe I'm running from something and like <laughs> dealing with a challenge makes me deal with the challenge instead of dealing with what I need to really face, right? But I think the other part of it is just like, I just grew up always like, if it's BMX, if it's rollerblading, if it's this, if it's that, just the thrill, if it's laughing while running from the cops. <laughs> as a kid because we did something stupid you know yeah. like like i just have this laugh that i do when something's just like <laughs> yeah you know like i just like that right surge and just thrill of it and it's funny because sometimes when i'm like on the track in the car i'm not laughing per se sometimes i will yeah but most of the time i'm just like hyper focused right because it's a challenge right how can i attack that corner better how yeah. can i take those seconds off my lap next time how can and i like that i like my brain to be always moving i yeah. just love my brain to just always always have a challenge to face so i'm that guy who would just do a puzzle for fun but not in the way you think of a puzzle more of a puzzle like i'm going 120 miles per hour here comes the wall really fast (laughs) how do i break without locking up my wheels and flying off the bike and hitting the wall right and making it around the corner in a way that i'm happy execute go (laughs) interesting i mean this not not to tie too neat a bow on this but this comes so full circle to talking about running live events you, oh. you are moving top speed and making these split-second decisions. That's a good point. You're right. So. Ah, I didn't think of that that way. <laughs> Maybe it is all connected. Maybe yeah. I just like running top speed.
feed and I just like throw myself into stuff like that. Well, now that we've 100% figured you out, (laughs) (laughs) the last question is um, if folks want to, I know you're not in it for the glory, but if folks want to follow the work you're doing, follow you, follow Lakai, um, where can they find out about what you're doing or, or even possibly attend what you're doing if they're in the Boston area or New York? Follow me on Instagram. It's just my first name. Follow the company. It's L-A-K-A-I Dance or L-A-K-A-I Arts. Google search that. Google search my name. Things will come up. I'm on Google, which is pretty cool. Uh, Mostly because my name is very unique. (laughs) I've been Googling my name since the 90s. Looking for another McCurson. I've not found one. My parents made it up. That's why. (laughs) From scratch. That's Um, cool. Actually, no. It was half my mom and my dad and half me. She had a dream that I was a boy before she knew I was a boy. Oh, wow. And I was running away like I did actually when I came out. And I was just causing chaos. She's like trying to yell for me to stop. You know, just like, hey, stop, stop, stop. Hey, boy, stop. And I stopped and looked at her dead in the face. I'm like, my name is Curson. And she's like, oh, Whoa. Okay, so it was like an introduction, right? And she woke up, just like told my dad, and he, she was like, "Hey, the boy inside of me just told me his name is Kirsten." And then my dad was like, "That's crazy." Well, it wasn't too wild for them because Haitians believe in dreams, right? Like Haitians are very spiritual people and mm-hmm. believe that like we talk through dreams. So to him, it was like, "Oh, that's wild! Wow, yeah. he told you his name, you know?" And it wasn't like, "Oh no, what?" You right. know? It was like, "Oh, cool," you know. <laughs> yeah. Let's... Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> right, right, exactly, right. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Save us the work. So. My my dad was like, okay, well, why don't we add like some kind of like spiritual thing to it, right? Or like mm-hmm. some biblical thing. They open up the Bible and they're like looking for like prefixes to my name, right? They're like, oh, we could try Luke Curson, you know, Paul Curson. Yeah. And my mom landed on Mark Curson. Ah. So in the French Bible, Mark is abbreviated with MC because it's spelled with a C, M-A-R-C. So that's how I got my name, McCurson, which in French and Creole is Marc-Kelsen. Yeah, so that's why I probably never find another one. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you have great SEO, you know, on Google. You're right. So yes, you're right. That's why Easy. you had to go into that dream. You were like, in 20 years, this could like be that. really important. I like that. I like that. <laughs> and it's funny because in West African and Haitian spirituality, time is not linear, right? Oh, cool. We're living in every moment all at once from where we are right now. Maybe just... in the womb, I was like, hey, right now, you're wishing that you had a better SEO. <laughs> so let's make it happen. Yeah. Or Man. I see that you suck at social media, which I do. <laughs> and let's give us a name right. where we, we just need a leg up. Exactly. Here. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. McCurson, I really, really, truly loved this conversation. Oh, this was thanks, so much Alex. fun getting to know it. you. Thank you so much. That's, that's all. That's, <laughs> that's a wrap. It is what it is. All right. I hope you loved that conversation with McCurson. I certainly did. McCurson, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This episode was recorded at CCTV in Cambridge, Mass. I love it over there. Their setup is awesome. Thank you to DJ Mickey Grouse for putting McCurson and me in touch, which helped create this amazing episode. Thank you to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing this episode and bringing it to your ears. The theme music is by Typist, Adam's solo project. If this is your first episode and you want to dive back into the archives, I want to give a recommendation. I actually want to give a recommendation for last week's episode with Matt Woodruff. I bet you'll see some parallels, even though Matt is a very in a very different field. He's an immunologist. He is another person who is working to do good in the world and change the world with his skills and his talents and his creativity. And he's someone who sees the best in people and tries to solve problems in a really straightforward, honest way. 
We've got another great guest next week. Another one I'm super excited about. I know I always say that, but I always mean it when I say it. Um, And then after that is going to be our every 10th episode special, We Love Your Conversation, where myself and a special guest co-host will read your letters and, and give some advice and give some answers and goof around. Your letters were great once again, and I'm really excited for it. There's some some great moments. It's going to be super fun. So that's all. See you in two weeks. Bye.